aka Padders. Welcome back. It is episode 281 of aka Pads Audio Audacity. This this is my show. This is like the the podcast if you just sat down one day and said I, I I'm going to do nothing else with my life but review every single movie I've ever seen. That's my mission statement for aka Pads Audio Audacity. And and through that we explore things about ourselves, we understand a little bit more of what makes us tick, I talk to you, you talk to me, it goes on and on. So, Hillbilly Elegy, it's a Ron Howard Netflix movie, Hillbilly Elegy, I, I literally, I literally, I gotta say, I hate, I absolutely hate the title for this movie, but there's, you know, there, there's some worthy discussion. Just around the uh, what Ron Howard is really trying to do with this flick, what he's trying to say. Now we all know. Let's uh, let's get through that intro, and I'll continue my point. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. So we we all know with an aging filmmaker, an aging artist, an aging writer, the more your name is known. Like you know, like you're you're more famous. You make more money. These are like they're, they're almost like artist tropes, and they're really hard to chart. They're hard to understand. They're hard to follow because we don't like to admit. We don't like to say that when someone ages, when someone gets a little bit older. They lose a step. They fall behind. You know, like, it's a little easier with athletes because you physically can see it. But when it comes to the mind, the cognizant function, you got to drink your green tea, mother effers. There is a degradation. There's a slowing down. There's a little bit of a um, homegrown depression. When you get older, and by and by homegrown depression, I mean like you're not actively trying to slow down; you just are. So we have to kind of ask this question when it comes to Woody Allen, Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, and Ron Howard. Like this could be your four-headed dragon of the masters of the craft, and because they are uh, Clint Eastwood. Like five-headed dragon. Because Clint Eastwood, I, I believe, is 138 years old today. But by the masters of the craft, I mean that these are the individuals that have been in the game for so long that they, you know, there's, there's parts of the process that they completely see through. It's transparent to them. And it should be celebrated. You know, I I believe uh, all of Ron Howard's movies should be celebrated. I believe all of Steven Spielberg's movies should be celebrated. And so on and so forth. But we do need conditions. We need like an asterisk. We, we need an explanation around how we discuss these movies. Because young Spielberg, like a young Ron Howard, is is vastly vastly different than an older one no different than like a young and old Walter Payton or 
a Bo Jackson. That, I mean, I watched this. I watched it from time to time because it blows my mind. But I watched this Bo Jackson thirty for thirty with my boy Chuck Hosterman, uh You know, talking through it, and Bo Jackson just looks so old and big and defeated. And when they show him younger, you're you blow your own mind. And it's just like, geez, like now, like aging sucks, but we physically can see it, and we want to expect Bo Jackson uh, to do the same stuff he did when he was younger. So why why do we expect some of these people to continue? You know, like to kind of chase that nut. Look, Ron Howard really, in my opinion, he peaked at Apollo thirteen. Uh, a movie like Beautiful Mind, it's it's so difficult. It's so difficult for me to sit down and enjoy Beautiful Mind because the movie, I, I, I believe that's an Academy Award winner. Help me here. It be, because Beautiful Mind, is it's like a hook. <laughs> it's like more than half of that movie is a potential hallucination. And I just, I don't understand the appeal of it. I really, I, I, I really don't. And it, it, it's always baffled me. And, and this is a little bit of like this, this trend, this path that came up through the 90s when it comes to the Academy Awards where like every single year the movie was less impactful, less impactful. And I, I do believe the Academy uh, in its guidance, has has clearly lost their way. Um, you know, f- f- with the Saving Private Ryan debacle, like on, even though like they they made up for it with American Beauty, but it it doesn't it doesn't take away from the idea that they were able to be duped to vote against Saving Private Ryan for for Best Picture. Speaking of Steven Spielberg, so we 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 have this movie here, and I mean it's it's another incredible incredible uh, performance by amy adams sharp objects i referenced that last episode her hbo max miniseries the woman in the window episode 380 she 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 works she he like literally works every single role that she's in she's drugged out in this movie and she's frustrating, and I just believe she wasn't like frustrating enough that like um they didn't go hard enough with making you kind of like wish her dead. Like you should have wished her dead in in this movie because she's that much of a degenerate. And then we have Glenn Close, who maybe her her best modern day performance. So like so this is a little bit of what we're talking about, but like Ron Howard. Like still, um, knows how to work with people. Knows what to get out of them. He communicates things on set very accurately. This movie looks incredible. It is a true story. There's lessons to take away from it. So earlier, when I was discussing about like what, like you know, essentially like what Ron Howard was trying to say with this movie. It, it, look, it's it's a hopeful movie. 
It's, it's a movie about you keep fighting, you keep clawing, um, and, and you don't give up on your family because they're not going to give up on you even though you are messed up. Okay? Like, you're messed up. And the only people you have in this world not to give up on you, to give you another chance to be at your back is your family. I mean, yeah, I get it. Some of us have close friends, but there is a blood obligation with family that you don't really get with friends. You, You do feel like you're, you sometimes selfishly, you feel like you can abandon and leave your friends. Like you kind of have to be truthful and honest about that. So that this movie delivers that message. The journey there, it's choppy. The performances are great. The look of the movie's good. The our um, protagonist, you know, like he's he's a messed up kid, does good in school, uh, you know, like gets into Harvard or Yale, like becomes a lawyer, has a girlfriend. And the movie's kind of flashing back between, like, him and, like, the girlfriend and him, like, maybe revealing how messed up his home life is or, you know, like, his family is to her. Like, stuff like that. And you really think that the movie's coming to, like, a payoff. The movie's going to arrive somewhere. You know, like, you you look for Amy Adams kind of dying or, like, them finding her body in some, like, horrific, tragic, sad way. You think, um... You know, the, uh, our lawyer kid, you know, what's it, JD or DJ, whoever the heck his name is, <laughs> Gabriel Basso, I think it's, it's played by him, and, like, you think he's going to die, you think he's going to get into a car accident at the end of this movie, and, you know, like, and some of that would have felt satisfactory, and the point would have been the same, the, you know, like, maybe, let me take that back. Like maybe not hundred percent the same because if if he died at the end or if Amy Adams died, it really would have been about the the tragedy of the the lot in life that we're given. Yeah, you know, like very boys in the hood stuff. And I just feel like some of those some of those points really should have been like there. Okay, this movie needed tragedy. It really did. It needed. A good tragedy to stick with you. The point of like family kind of always sticking with you, perseverance, those points not strong enough. Again, like you need, uh, if you have a movie with people scratching and clawing, one of your prominent characters. Is a is is a piece of shit essentially, and then you have like a strong foundation, Glenn Close as a grandmother. You need like you need to break that. Everyone ending up happily at the end of this movie doesn't come off, and I think some of it is it's like Ron Howard not trying to get that nut, not trying to impress us or to shock us and or to entertain us. It's tough. It really is. And like, do we have to kind of go through some of the the films? Like, we gotta kind of catch up on Ron Howard's filmography. I feel like it's uh, we haven't done it since 
the Grinch that stole Christmas, and that was like a million episodes ago. His last movie, well, maybe since uh, 2018, Solo, a Star Wars movie, completely, we're just going backwards here, okay? Solo, a Star Wars movie, is one of the better Star Wars movies. I said it. Inferno, it's tough for me to have a desire to watch any of those. 2016, 2015, In the Heart of the Sea, that's his, uh, like, real-life Moby Dick retelling. Starring Chris Hemsworth. He did uh, back-to-back movies with Hemsworth. 2013 Rush. Really good car racing movie. Uh, everything everything works in that. Then we have the... The... Uh, the, the, the Dilemma, if I can say that. Yeah, that's a little bit of his return to comedy. Angels and Demons... Frost Nixon, like, you know, even Frost Nixon, you know, like, uh, that was a, in the Oscar race. Frost Nixon just, it, it never appealed to me to, to watch. It's same as, like, uh, Good Night and Good Luck. Like, never really appealed to me to, to want to watch those movies. Then we have his, The Da Vinci Code, Worldwide Sensation. Uh, 2005, so maybe Cinderella Man. Uh, one of his Russell Crowe. He back-to-back movies with Russell Crowe. Maybe Cinderella Man, right? I mean, that I like. I I really do appreciate Depression Era movies. I like pairing Cinderella Man with Bob Ross's. Um, not Bobby Ross. Is it Bob Ross? Uh, sea Biscuit. Sea Biscuit. Cinderella Man, and I believe they came uh, a year apart. Then we have The Missing, a very tough, very, very, very tough uh, supernatural thriller. 2000, another smash hit, a movie, a rising tide movie every year. More and more people appreciate How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Ed TV, 1999, came out the same year as uh, Truman Show. Uh, underrated movie. 1996, Ransom, with Mel Gibson, another underrated movie. They're good. Both of those movies are good. Then we have Apollo 13, which really... It's it's very easy to say that Apollo 13 is Ron Howard's best movie, 1995. The Paper, Michael Keaton. He's made multiple movies with Michael Keaton. The Paper is highly overlooked, great movie. We have Everyone Likes to Make Fun of and Ignore... 92's Far and Away starring Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. I freaking love that movie. Backdraft, at one time his best movie. Uh, yeah, everyone likes to go to that movie for like sound effects. Willow, George Lucas. Again, like two movies with Camp Lucas. Willow and Solo, a Star Wars movie. Gung Ho, his first movie with Michael Keaton. Cocoon. Uh, I remember seeing Cocoon in the theaters. I remember seeing Cocoon and Willow and Parenthood in the theaters. Parenthood, too. Sorry, I think I skipped over Parenthood. Parenthood, absolutely phenomenal. Willow, very commendable. Gung Ho, always funny. Cocoon, uh, fantastic. Splash, uh, Splash was really his, uh, I mean, 
for a long time. That was like, right? That was a Disney movie? Like, Disney's uh, through Columbia Pictures? Like, that was like Disney's, like, biggest nut. That was their, like, the highest grossing movie. 82 Night Shift. I've never seen Night Shift, and, and I have yet to see his Roger Corman Grand Theft Auto. So, of all the Ron Howard movies, if you minus the uh, Da Vinci Code, like, trilogy... I mean, and congrats to him. He's got a trilogy under his belt. It's really Grand Theft, Night Shift, Frost Nixon, and the uh, the the giant Chris Hemsworth whale movie. So, four movies, not bad. Now, I mean, I could probably do an episode on uh, everything else I just named outside the uh, Da Vinci Code stuff. So, like this movie, it, like it does fit somewhat in his filmography too as a. You know, like, he doesn't repeat, he doesn't do do the same genre tri- twice, he doesn't do, um, you know, like, he doesn't really repeat himself, which is very interesting. So, you gotta give Ron Howard a lot of credit for that. He's, he's like, 60, late 60s at this point. Uh, you know, like, he, he's, I'm sure he's got a lot of years, five, six movies left in him. And I just would have liked this movie to be tragic. And it's not tragic. And it doesn't feel good when it's uplifting. And hey, uh, it's hard to pinpoint that sometimes. But it's good to know. It's good to be able able to identify exactly where a movie breaks. What happens to it. Can't really recommend it. I'm sorry. Uh, Tomorrow we're doing Kate. Or next episode. 382 we're doing kate we're doing back-to-back assassin movies for our netflix marching towards the 31 days of dread everyone i love you thanks for hanging out